Have you ever wanted someone to walk alongside you as you do the thing? You know, the thing that makes your heart come alive and leaves our world more like Jesus than we found it. I know, and that's why I'm here. My name is Rebecca Dotson-George. I'm a speaker, writer, career coach, and just all around excited to be in your earbuds for the next few minutes. I'm a girl wildly passionate about cheering you on as you make God known in and through your creative mission. Here's the thing though, I know sometimes you can get discouraged. I'm not good enough. I don't know where to start. I can't do as good of a job as she's doing. These are all lies that we sometimes believe and I'm here to help you debunk those lies that are ruling your mind about your mission and replace them with truth from God's word. So. Buckle up, because I'll gather up my favorite seasoned and rising leaders in their fields to share inspirational stories, strategic advice, and hard-won wisdom. Welcome to the Do The Thing Movement Podcast. Do you ever get to the end of a podcast and just think, man, I am not done with that conversation. Girl, me too. And I love hearing from you about how not only the show is encouraging you, but also what God is stirring up in you as a result. And I just really wanted the opportunity to connect one-on-one with more of you. And that's why I've created a Patreon community. Patreon is an online platform that hosts bonus content and provides creators a way to hang out with their audience in a more intimate way. So here's how I'm going to use it. There are three tiers. First is the bestie tier, which will include access to the platform and extra conversations with all our guests that only Patreon besties will get to hear. These questions will not be shared here on your podcast platform. Then there's the VIP party tier. This includes the bestie tier and you get invited to a VIP party once a month on Zoom where we get to hang out, get to know one another better and maybe do some coaching in a group session from time to time. And then finally, there is the calling coach tier. In this tier, you'll be able to access the previous tiers plus have a 30 minute coaching call per month with me to talk about anything podcast, ministry or career related. How fun does this sound? So come on over to Patreon by downloading the app or visiting patreon.com and search Do The Thing Movement. I can't wait to meet you inside the community. Hey friends, I'm so happy to have you back today for another episode of the Do The Thing Movement podcast. And today we have such a special conversation with my new friend, Holly Hayes. Holly is the founder of Sanctuary Project, and I'm just going to let Holly tell you all about her story. I wanted it to come straight from her. And so we did a little bit more of an introduction than we typically do on the show. And I'm just going to go ahead and introduce you to my new friend, Holly Hayes. Holly, I am so thrilled to have you on the show today. Thank you for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. This is so fun. I know. I'm really excited. I've been looking forward to this conversation for a long time, and I have heard you speak on several of my friends' shows, which has been so fun, and I love talking with you before we hit record just a little bit about what we're both working on, and it's so fun. I can already tell that we have a lot in common, and... um, definitely a quick friend. So I want you to start by telling everybody who may be unfamiliar with your story and the story of your organization, Sanctuary Project, would you start there by kind of telling listeners like 
the A to Z of your story and how you got to be where you are now. Yeah. So I run a nonprofit social enterprise based in Austin, Texas called Sanctuary Project. And we employ and empower women coming out of trafficking, violence, and addiction. We have a jewelry line. um, So we're making jewelry and uh, selling jewelry and just recently got picked up by target.com, which is really exciting. And, um, And so we're expanding our reach and expanding the opportunities to employ female survivors of trafficking, violence, and addiction. Um, this is a passion of mine because I came out of that life. Uh, it'll be 20 years ago wow. in two weeks. <laughs> I'll be celebrating 20 years out, out of that life and 20 years sober as well on February 11th. So, um, you know, just a little bit of brief overview on, on what happened to me. There was some abuse in my childhood, some sexual abuse in my childhood. And, um, and I think that really imprinted on my identity from a very young age. And, uh, and then there was a divorce in my young life, in my uh, adolescent years. Uh, my parents divorced, and that spiraled me into this cycle of alcohol and drug abuse that led to some really dark places. So I was drinking and using drugs every day by the time I was 15. Um, by 16, I had dropped out of high school. By 18, I was getting arrested all the time. Yeah. And at 19, I met my trafficker. And um, he developed a relationship with me, which is common for exploiters mm. like like him. Um, I, I think he he saw me from across the room and knew I was his type. I was uh, severely addicted to drugs and alcohol, and um, and probably leading with my sexuality because it was all I knew, yeah. and um, had had severed relationships with friends and family. So I was really living in isolation at the time, and um, and so I was a perfect candidate for that exploitation. So um, after he developed a relationship with me, the relationship became violent pretty early on. And, mm-hmm. uh, and I learned there were other women pretty early on. And then he started to introduce the, um, the trafficking scenario. I, um, I hated it. <laughs> and, uh, and I kept getting drunk and high and not showing up for the jobs he lined up for me. So I ended up actually failing at being trafficked and um, went one lower than being trafficked and actually failed at it and, and got kicked out. And so I ended up homeless. And um, on February 10th of 2001, I was on the floor of a public bathroom and three words fell out of my mouth. I was crying and I was lost and I was empty and I was broken and I was desperate. And I just said, God, help me. And I'd never believed in God. I didn't know any God people, but um, that, that moment, something shifted in my life. And that very night, I ended up meeting someone who got me into a recovery program and uh, got me away from that dangerous situation. And, um, and I have been sober since that day and safe since that day. So, uh, so God really swooped in and, um, and rescued me. And now I have the opportunity to answer that cry when other women are crying, God help me from bathroom floors and jail cells and, um, and what, you know, what hotel rooms all over, uh, the central Texas area. Wow. Holly, I love your story. And I think it's such a beautiful story of redemption where you have taken what you've been through, um, and you're now using it for good. And, and we talk about that so much, really, this whole podcast was born out of, um, totally different season in my life. My mom went through cancer and through that God mm-hmm. led me to start a nonprofit for several years where we served cancer patients. And I kept having this conversation with women of like, I love that God did that through your mom's story. And I have my own version of that. And I feel like God is calling me mm-hmm. to start this 
thing, no matter what it was. And so God kept allowing me to have these conversations with women who just needed a cheerleader to help them take those first steps and make the connection between how God's gifted them and the work that they do. And so um, I think you're such a beautiful example of that in the Mm. work that you do now, which I love so much. So that's why I, one of the reasons why I was so excited to have this conversation. And, you know, as I was thinking about your story and your organization and just the time that we're in right now, to be super honest, we're all so isolated right now, more so than we've ever been. And I don't, I wouldn't even know where to start with this question, but I'm just curious, what are some of the greatest needs that you're seeing right now in this whole world that a lot of us know nothing about, right? What has changed maybe in the last year or so with what's been going on with the pandemic? How did that, in what ways has that changed this whole world? Yeah, it's twofold. Um, You know, I think from just a practical perspective, the pandemic shifted a lot of what nonprofits, um, anti-trafficking nonprofits had been doing in terms of fundraising. So there's, um, so there's all of a sudden a lack of funds, right? Because for those of us that relied on events or, um, you know, galas and things like that to do our annual fundraising uh, in the community lost those opportunities. And so, um, so everyone is a bit strapped and in the anti-trafficking movement. So, um, so that's just something from a practical perspective that if you are someone who is passionate about fighting trafficking, find those organizations you can support, um, come alongside them as a monthly donor, think about what you would have given at a gala or an event in your community and, and try to find ways to, to continue to give because we definitely need it. Um, and then, you know, the other thing, it's sort of a, it's probably a sensitive topic, but, um, but, but one thing that's happened this year that, um, that has probably a positive and a negative side to it is that the spotlight has been on trafficking in some ways more than ever before. Um, and a lot of it's because of conspiracy theories that are out there. Yeah. And so we, as a, as an anti-trafficking community have, um, have found that's that, that, that is a double-edged sword. Um, on one side, I'm very grateful trafficking is being talked about. I'm very grateful that word is on more people's lips. I'm very grateful there's more people who are hearing about it, maybe for the first time even, and that it's breaking their hearts. Um, on the other side, we are fighting massive misinformation. Mm. Um, there is a flood of misinformation about what trafficking is, what it looks like, even statistics, um, you know, uh, just, um, just massive misinformation uh, that's um, linked to conspiracy theories and and that has a agenda behind it that's that's outside of the work of of wonderful anti-trafficking organizations who've been fighting this on the ground for decades um, and so it's hard to see something that we're all so passionate about and and to see the work we've been doing sort of um, derailed in some ways by um, conspiracy theories that are also making trafficking political um, it's wow. never been a political issue it's always been um, supported on both sides Sides of the aisle, we've we've had policy support um, always from both sides of the aisle, and um, this is a human rights issue, and so. So it's been a little bit heartbreaking to uh, just to see how it's pulled the focus from the great work we're doing and um, and sensationalized something and and created fear and misinformation in our communities. Yeah. Wow. That totally makes sense, and I hadn't thought of that at all. Um, that, that totally makes sense. And I'm just wondering, you know, I know there's the financial support piece, which is so important. And, you know, if somebody's listening 
and they feel burdened for this, for this need in the world, how else can we best step in uh, to partner together or to make a difference where we are right now with everything going on? Yeah, I mean, I think supporting those organizations who are doing great work. And yeah. this is something, you know, trafficking is happening in every community. Um, it's it's not isolated to specific regions. Um, it happens everywhere. Anywhere there's people, you're going to find people being exploited. So, um, so find that organization in your community that's doing the work on the ground in your community. It looks a little bit different in various communities. Um, the, the unique uh, needs of the, of the women coming out or, um, the, or the you know, police or the um, hospitals that are, that are often the first responders, those needs are really unique in your various regions. Yeah. So um, depending on what city you're in, those local anti-trafficking nonprofits will know and be able to communicate communicate what the what the best um, what the best way to help resource them is for us here in central Texas the biggest need we're facing right now is housing um, where we have a shortage of beds and so girls are um, you know girls are being pulled out of a trafficking situation and there's nowhere to put them um, and so those are you know but that's unique to central Texas there's other places where beds are not an issue but rehabilitation is um, and so really just finding out what the needs are in your community and, and coming alongside um, organizations that are already on the ground doing that work yeah. That's so good. That's so helpful. And, you know, we just met, but what you don't know about me is I, so I live in a super small town in South Mississippi and I spent most of my life in Upper East Tennessee, um, pretty close to Gatlinburg, which is a pretty big hotspot for this whole conversation. Um, So I was somewhat familiar with it there, but then I moved here and it's easy to maybe not even it's easy to feel very far removed from an issue like this in such a small town. However, recently I was in a conversation and somebody told me about some things that were happening in our town that were just proof that it's, that it's happening everywhere. And so for people who maybe feel, wow, I feel very far removed from that. What are some signs of to maybe look for, for human trafficking? What do we, what do we look for? What would be some good things to look for if you're a person who feels very unfamiliar with sex trafficking? You know, I'm going to say something um, maybe uh, unique here, but um, I would say don't look for it. <laughs> you know, this is um, it, it's happening in dark places. It's happening in isolation. It's happening. It's happening in hotel rooms. It's happening in underground places. And so yeah. as a lay person in your community, the last thing you should be doing is going out and looking for this. Yeah. Um, you know, what, what's important is that we get professionals trained in how to spot it. Um, if you work in law enforcement, if you work in healthcare, that's when it's going to be, become important to get trained in how to spot it. But um, one of the issues, as we were talking about earlier with like the, the conspiracy theories and stuff, um, is that there's this, um, there's a rising movement of those that want to, to be on the front lines. Right. Um, but, but really to be on the front lines of this work, you need trauma informed training. You need some really specialized help. Um, and, and, and the, and, and the reality is us as lay people in the community should not be going out and looking for trafficking. Um, we, in, in your daily life, you are not going to, you know, going to the grocery store and stuff. You're not going to spot this. 
Um, you know, this is something that um, there are there are really strategic initiatives around how we find and break up trafficking rings. Um, and so it's up to law enforcement to do that. It's up to healthcare providers to be able to spot it. Um, but for us as just, um, you know, Christian women who are full of the love of the Lord and want to help these women, the very best thing you can do is just partner with those organizations that are already on the ground doing that work, trained in that work, and equipping those um, law enforcement and uh, and healthcare first responders to identify and help these these ladies. We've had an issue before where there were some some sweet good Samaritans in our community who went and like picked up a girl off the street and then like and then they were calling everyone and saying, "We have a girl. What should we do with her?" And those are the last kinds of things we want to have happen because ultimately you're dealing with such a complex issue that we really need to make sure it's handled um, through the right channels. You know, each city has its, has its human trafficking divisions and it needs to happen through those divisions. Oftentimes they're putting them, they're incarcerating them um, for good reason because they're helping them to, to, they're helping separate them from their traffickers. So there's all kinds of nuance to the ways we need to go about rescuing and, um, and pulling women out and breaking up these trafficking rings and, um, and good Samaritan stepping in actually can get in the way of that work taking place. Okay. I love that you say that. And I think there's also a misconception and maybe this is something that you can speak into as well of like how it happens. I think we Mm -hmm. all have watched movies. We have all read books and maybe have kind of our idealistic version of what we think maybe takes place when I think often that's maybe not how it happens. And so similar to, you know, what's our place in this as evangelical Christian women, like also what do we not know because of maybe what we've, the information that we've taken in that you would want to tell people? Yeah, that's a really good point. So um, we've all seen the movie Taken. Um, We all started like locking our daughter's bedroom windows at night and, you know, um, but, um, but that, that is not how it typically happens. Um, The overwhelming majority of trafficking cases we see are happening through a known person which means that the trafficker has developed a relationship with this person, um, either a boyfriend or oftentimes it's a family member, and then um, has lured them in by building that trust and relationship and and is now exploiting them. Um, The other statistic is that the overwhelming majority of women we're seeing being trafficked are not coming from loving homes with a mom and a dad that go to church on Sunday and they're supervising their children because traffickers are smart and they're targeting girls who don't have supervision. They're targeting, they're targeting um, girls in the foster care system. They're targeting girls who are putting themselves out there online without supervision and who are, um, you know, maybe who are, it's, it's obvious they're looking for that affirmation because they're not getting it from their families. So we're not seeing, um, you know, girls coming out of loving homes where they're getting their needs met and, and, um, and being affirmed in their identity being trafficked because that's a hard target. Think about it as a trafficker, right? Um, would you, would you rather go after the girl who has two parents who are picking them up from school every day and who are telling them they're loved and who are, you know, raising them in the Lord and they know their identity and their sense of value and self-worth, or would you rather go after the girl who is not being supervised, who's living in a group home, who, um, you know, who, who doesn't know her worth and value and therefore is putting herself out on Snapchat trying to, find it um, through that affirmation on social media, they're going to go with the easy target. And so Mm -hmm. this is where I think, you know, a a massive misconception, right? We don't need to be 
protecting our daughters as much as we think we do. We do need to be watching everything they're doing online. We do need to be making sure we're instilling that sense of value and self-worth and identity in them. But we also need to make sure we're caring for those on the fringes of our community because those are the ones that are actually vulnerable to trafficking. And so if this is something that's breaking your heart, I would say make sure you're you're caring for those vulnerable kids in your community, the kids who are in the group homes, the kids who are in the foster care system, the kids who, um, who maybe have um, a lack of parental supervision. And those kids are easy to spot, right? I mean, that, that there's... Um, there are ways you can come around those kids, maybe in your kid's school, um, and say, "Who are those? You know, who are those kids that maybe only have a single parent home, or, um, or who you know have economic challenges?" And coming alongside those kids and loving them, and making sure you're being that loving adult role model in their life, um, can actually be a way you can prevent that from happening before it happens. Yeah. Oh, that's so wise. I love that. Okay, so for our listeners who are listening and thinking, man, I love I love Holly's story. I love what she's doing now. But maybe they have their own version of a really tough story um, that would require a lot of vulnerability to share with the world or to use for good, right? How would you encourage somebody um, to let God use their story if they feel just really terrified to share it? Yeah, you know, the, um, the the biggest thing I would say is give yourself the space to fully and completely heal. I think sometimes there's this pressure we feel of like, okay, I went through this horrible thing. Now I need to get to where God uses it for good. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't share my story until I was 14, 15 years out of that life. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just started telling my story in the last, you know, five years, um, uh, maybe six years, like 2014 ish. And so I think, you know, there's, um, there is, of course, we all have that desire to see it redeemed and to see God use it for his glory. But when there's even the slightest bit of shame that still remains, or there's even that slightest bit of unhealing that still remains, um, that's where the enemy can get in and really actually um, turn it against you and use it to create more shame and and strife in your life. Um, I've seen people share their story too soon, even, and, um, and, and it can rip open old wounds and it can, it can really actually re-trigger and re-traumatize. And so, especially when your story involves any kind of exploitation, um, I would say guard it, guard it for now. God will show you when it's time to start opening up about it. And that doesn't mean you're not telling it in one-on-one scenarios. That doesn't mean you're not ministering from, um, from that place of maybe not quite fully yet healed um, in a small group scenario or one-on-one with someone else in your community who's going through something similar. But when it comes to really sharing our stories, to writing a book or, you know, those things that, that yeah. you sort of that you hear people feel called to when they've been through something um, really traumatic. And a lot of times we come around and we encourage it. We're like, share your story. God is so good. But, um, but I think my, my mama heart that wants to like protect, you know, survivors of trauma says, please take the time to heal first. Um, your story's not going anywhere. It's only going to get richer. If I were to have shared my story at two years out or three years out or five years out, or even 10 years out, it did not have the richness 
of a, a full and completely redeemed, um, glorifying God's story that it has today. Yeah. And so I think, you know, and I was, I would not have been able to share it from a place of victory. I wouldn't mm. have been able to share it from a place of fullness. And this is the whole story. There were pieces I would have wanted to leave out because of shame. And so I think you'll know when you get to that place. Yeah. Um, and once you get to that place, God will open the floodgates and it will be like, you can't stop. I can't stop talking about all the things he's done in my life. But, um, but yeah, give yourself the space to heal. Yeah. I think that's so wise. I love that. Well, one thing that we do around here that I love is we allow our Patreon members to turn in questions for guests of just things that having known their story or a little bit about them, what they would want me to ask you. And so we had a patron turn in a question. Her name is Janelle. And she asks, she said, wow, Holly's story is so powerful. How would you recommend that we come alongside someone who is walking through addiction and high anxiety who won't get help because they're scared of what others will think? I have a friend that I love deeply and I have tried to help her, but nothing seems to help. Would you have any advice for her? Yeah, that's such a good question, Janelle. Thing that we can do as sisters in Christ, just love them where they're at. And it's the hardest thing to do too, because the the first thing we want to do is like fix, right? We're like, okay, how can I get her help? How can I get her, you know, how can I get her into this treatment program or what can I do? And I think the, um, the best thing you can do is actually be that safe place for her and that non-judgmental place for her. Because if the fear is that, um, that she's going to be judged or that, uh, that she's, you know, that, that, um, that there's going to be uh, some sort of condemnation that comes on her if she confesses, mm-hmm. being that mercy seat for her, being that place where she can confess anything and you're loving her and you're with her and there's nothing she can do to to um, to sever that love, sitting on that mercy seat as Christ would for her will help her, it will help inspire her to believe that she could confess this to those that could, could offer help. It's so funny, the disease of addiction, because I hear that and it's like, wait, so she's not worried about everyone thinking she's an alcoholic, but she is worried about her drug addict, but she is worried about people thinking like, oh, I can't believe she would get treatment for that. So it's so funny. Like it's such a, it's, it's such a manipulative uh, mindset. You know, you can just see the enemy lying to her and and saying, you know, you're, oh, no one knows that you're an addict when I'm sure, you know, we know people know. Sure. Um, and then, and then, and then the lie that, gosh, if you were to go get help, then people would shame you when the truth is, if you were to go get help, you would meet so many people who just like you had struggled. Yeah. Um, you know, I got, I went to, I went through 12 step programs and still am a part of that world today. And, um, and it's my favorite place in the world because I go there and it's a room full of people just like me. So there's no one there to judge me because every single person in that room has been through what I've been through. And so, you know, it's actually the opposite in some ways to like the church, for example, where there are going to be people who haven't struggled with an addiction. If she was to um, open herself up to being in a community, uh, in a recovery community like that, like a 12-step recovery community, she would meet a whole room full of non-judgment. So I pray for her, Janelle. I pray, I just pray for your friend that, um, that someone would, uh, speak into her life and uh, show up at just the right moment. I pray for that. God help me moment for, for this, for this woman that, uh, that she would find that, that bottom and that she would be open to walking into um, a room full of people in the recovery community who would understand and know everything she's been through. Yeah. Um, I also have her reach out to me too. I'm happy to to chat with her. I love that. And I love how 
that type of community would probably help somebody not only feel seen, but feel really known. And I think that's like the heart of what you're saying. And I could see how that would be such a powerful thing if that was your story. So I love that you share that. That's so good. Okay. So I have loved, I've loved this conversation so much and I am excited to get to know you more over on our Patreon community. And so what we're going to do now is hop on over there and finish out our conversation. So for listeners who are not already subscribed to our Patreon channel, we post bonus conversations with all of our guests every Tuesday and Thursday when episodes drop. So you can go listen to Holly and I's conversation there now, but Holly, I am so thrilled that you joined me today. Thank you so much for having me. What an honor. Thanks so much for listening to the show. I am so thrilled to have you be a part of this community. I wanted to remind you of a couple of things. Number one, did you know that when people rate and review podcasts on Apple Podcasts, it actually helps more people come across the show? And when that happens, the messages we're sharing get spread even further and we get to encourage more people. I can't think of anything more fun than that. So it would mean the world to me if you would do something that would take just two minutes of your time. Hop on over to Apple Podcasts, leave a rating and a written review. Tell me all about how the show is encouraging you and invite others to listen in. It truly means the world to this girl on the other side of the mic. And then number two, if you're loving the show and want even more content from Do The Thing Movement, hop on over to our Patreon page on your desktop or mobile device to listen to after the show bonus interviews, attend live Zoom parties, and receive extra coaching. Simply download the Patreon app or do it on your desktop device and search Do The Thing Movement. I would love to see you over there in that community. Thanks again for listening and I can't wait to be back with you next episode. Same time, same place. Bye, friends.